When you look into Discover Student Loans, what you see might surprise you. We can help cover your college costs, don't charge you fees, and give you cash rewards for good grades. Ready to apply? Visit discoverstudentloans.com. Limitations apply. Here at Mountain Dew, we'd like to remind you, you got to know what's important and what's not important. Knowing how to tie a tie, not important. Keeping a diary, not important. Trying all the different bold flavors of Mountain Dew, important. Experience the boldest flavors on earth. Do the Dew. This is A Different Perspective with Kevin Randall. A retired U.S. Lieutenant Colonel, Kevin Randall has been studying UFOs for nearly 50 years. Kevin has investigated some of the most famous UFO cases in the world and has been consulted for dozens of documentaries about UFOs. Considered one of the leading experts into the Roswell UFO crash of 1947, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs, including the recently published Roswell in the 21st century. Now, here is the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall. And welcome to this edition of A Different Perspective. I'm Kevin Randall. I'll be joined in just a moment by Michael Shermer. Before we get on to that, I want to do, say something that's kind of funny here. Back when I had a radio show in El Paso, Texas on KTSM radio, we, we had a two-hour show on Saturday nights. I couldn't get skeptics to come on the program. I sent out letters. I made phone calls. Um, not sure we were doing a lot of email at that time, but uh, couldn't get them to come on the show with the exception of Philip Class. And it was because I felt I knew Philip Class personally. We would... Uh, I actually went sailing with him. I was at a, a DA school, DIA school in Washington, D.C. And uh, Philip took me sailing on the Potomac River. It's the only time I've ever been sailing. He would come on the program and he promised to talk to the people at uh, Prometheus to see if they would, or Psychop, to see if they'd come on the program. We could never get anybody to come on the program. We'd get all kinds of believers and, and uh, psychics and things on the program, but we couldn't get any skeptics to come on. Things have kind of reversed here. I have no trouble getting skeptics to come on the program now, but a lot of the people who are on that other side of the fence are now reluctant to come on the program. I think it's kind of an interesting, I guess, juxtaposition of what had happened in the past. I uh, had contacted Michael Shermer to come on the program when Avi Loeb had um, made the pronouncement that an artificial object had passed through the solar system, something that came from far outside the solar system, had been traveling for literally hundreds of thousands of years, and it just meandered through the solar system and was was gone. And I wanted Michael Shermer to come on the program and talk about what he thought of um, Loeb's theories on that. I know there's pushback from other astronomers, but Loeb had a pretty impressive credentials. And I thought it would be an interesting discussion. Uh, Michael didn't want to come on the program right then. He wanted an opportunity to review the materials from Loeb, which is understandable. And we set up things to do it later. And other things came and got in the way, so we had to delay. So we will talk about that today. We'll talk about uh, some of the other things going on in the world of the UFOs as I bring on Michael Shermer, who, uh, according to the documentation I have, Dr. Michael Shermer is a founding publisher of Skeptic Magazine, the host of a podcast, The Michael Shermer Show, and a presidential fellow at Chapman University where he teaches Skepticism 101. For 18 years, he was a monthly columnist for Scientific American. He writes a weekly sub, uh, Substack column. He is the author of New York Times bestseller, Why People Believe Weird Things. And I have a lot of weird beliefs, by the way. And The Believing Brain, Why Darwin Matters, The Science of Good and Evil, The Moral Arc, Heavens on Earth, and Giving the Devil His Due, Reflections of a, sci of a Scientific I think I've left a word out there. Anyhow, Michael Shermer um, has his website at michaelshermer.com or www.skeptic.com. Michael Shermer, welcome to A Different Perspective. Hi, Kevin. Nice to see you again. How are you? It's taken us a while to get this arranged. Well, here we are. We're doing it. Yeah. Let's talk. Okay. Uh, I mentioned at the introduction here that originally I'd contact you to talk talk a little bit about Avi Loeb and his theory that mm -hmm. this object that had passed through the solar system a couple of years ago uh, was an artificial construct, ne not necessarily manned, or I probably should say creatured. 
but some kind of a maybe artificial intelligence run uh, device of some kind. You've had a chance, and I'm sure now, to take a look at those theories. What do you what do you think of that? Yeah, I had Avi on my podcast, and we talked about it for almost two hours. And you know, he 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 says the publisher kind of pushed the subtitle. I forget what the exact wording is, but it makes it sound like he's saying, you know, first contact with an extraterrestrial intelligence has definitively been made. That's what's implied in the sub title of his book. And he says he, he he doesn't go that far. You know, it's not that we know for sure that it was artificial, only that it has anomalies uh, affiliated with it. Uh, just it's reflective in the way it was moving and so on that uh, it cannot be explained, he says, by a, that it's a, a comet or a meteor or a rogue planet or anything, planetismal, it's not that big, or anything like that. So it's it's a little bit like um, if if you can't uh, explain it by X, Y, and Z, then it might possibly be extraterrestrial, something like that. So he doesn't say for sure. We you know we've made contact only that it's an anomaly. Now I have talked to other astronomers and cosmologists or you know, people that study this sort of thing. They are skeptical for sure. They think he goes too far. They think it is plausible. Plausible, plausibly explained. Sorry, uh, by these natural uh, phenomenal re phenomena, rather than the extraterrestrial hypothesis. But of course, everybody, all these people I talked to are good scientists. No one says it's a hundred percent this or it's a hundred percent not that, right? So, and I'm even on the Galileo project team, uh, headed by Avi at Harvard, to set up hundreds of telescopes all over the world with microphones and everything to try to figure out what these UAPs are. And, uh, you know, we, we've all had it with these grainy videos and blurry photographs and anecdotes about weird, spooky things in the sky. Let's get to the heart of it. What are these things? And, you know, if they're as common as we're told that they are, they should be everywhere. And people with video cameras and high resolution cell phone cameras should be able to capture them. And yet we got nothing. And and so Avi wants to set up hundreds of telescopes and say, let's just take pictures. Even if 99% of them are mylar balloons or drones or whatever, you know, if there's 1% of them that uh, turn out to be something other than, you know, a natural terrestrial explanation, then that would be significant. So I support that. I mean, I'm on the team. I meet with them every Friday by Zoom. And I, I think that's a good idea. When I talked to him, he was reluctant to bring on anybody with a knowledge of UFOs. And I thought that the history of the study of UFOs, uh, the, just the history of it, not necessarily leading to the extraterrestrial hypothesis, but what had been done in the past in an attempt to resolve the questions would be of value to someone setting up a new project, save them from having to duplicate the efforts of the past that had failed. And he seemed very reluctant to even um, consider that. Well, uh, Nick Pope is on on the Galileo uh, project team, and he's he's a pretty big pro UFO guy. Well, I understand that, and that's something that's happened now. I, my my point simply was at one point he was very reluctant to have anything to do with UFOs. He was looking outward from mm. the planet uh, for things. Oh, well, yeah. I think that's because of all the baggage that the name UFO carries, uh, and that you know he's at Harvard. He's trying to get government money and private money from serious people and he doesn't want you know to think them to think you know we're just going to go chasing ufos all, all over the western desert or whatever he but you know there there are unexplained mysteries which there always are but you know these uaps what are they okay so let's find out that that's the point so well obviously you as you say you're on the team you support the the project uh because it's a search for i guess data search for evidence to solve some of the riddles that we have, which obviously is not a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah, I wrote a fairly long uh, piece in Colette on identifying the unidentified on this subject, UFOs, UAPs, et cetera. And so there I propose three different hypotheses. Uh, I don't propose them. This is what's on the table, that uh, what these represent, not just UAPs, but just any UFO sightings over the last half century. One, they are, um, you know, ordinary terrestrial phenomenon. Two, they are extraordinary terrestrial phenomenon, namely Russian or Chinese drones or spy planes or some kind of foreign assets that 
are far beyond U.S. technology, military technology. And then three, the third hypothesis is that they are extraterrestrial, extraordinary, namely aliens, right? So I, I start off with uh, Leslie Keene's um, list of the, that, you know, Leslie Keene herself, a pro-UFOlogist, who writes about um, what what most of these um, UAPs and UFO uh, sightings represent. And I'll just read to you her, her list here. Because she says, this is in her book, UFOs. Uh, she says that 90 to 95% of all sightings can be explained by natural phenomenon. And so here's her list. Uh, according to Keene, roughly 90 to 95, this quoting her, Roughly 90 to 95% of UFO sightings can be explained as, and here's her list, weather balloons, flares, sky lanterns, planes flying in formation, secret military aircraft, birds reflecting the sun, planes reflecting the sun, blimps, helicopters, the planets Venus or Mars, meteors or meteorites, space junk, satellites, swamp gas, spinning eddy, sun dogs, ball lightning, ice crystals, reflected light off clouds, lights on the ground, or lights reflected in the cockpit window, and more. Okay, so if 90 to 95% of all sightings are explained as, as ordinary terrestrial phenomenon in that list and more, then a new sighting appears, X. What is X? Okay, what's it most likely to be? In the big bin here that is 90 to 95% terrestrial, normal, ordinary, or in the other one of the other two bins, Russian or China? Chinese uh, super advanced technology or extraterrestrials, right? So using a Bayesian analysis that is assigning a probability based on our priors of what we know, what is the credence to given to this new hypothesis? It has to be, whatever they are, very, very most likely to be in that 90 to 95% bin of ordinary terrestrial phenomenon. It doesn't say that they're not Russian or Chinese spy planes, although I should say that hypothesis has become even weaker since the Ukraine war. If it was a Russian uh, super advanced technology, wouldn't we see it? I mean, there's film crews over in Ukraine filming endless hours every day of all the uh, conflict there. And there's no footage of any super advanced Russian technology. So it's very likely. Let me, not let me interrupt here. Let me interrupt here because we're going to have to take break away for a break. Uh, when we come back, I'll be talking to Michael Shermer. We'll be talking about the Soviets not having any super secret <laughs> aircraft that they uh, would be using in uh, Ukraine, and we'll be talking about UAPs and uh, some of the other phenomena re revolving around the UFO situation. So please stick around. There's something scary hiding in the back of your closet. Your bathing suits and summer clothes thing you're pretty sure don't fit anymore. What if there was a way to get into summer shape in one visit? Here's Dr. Brian Strand for Sonobello to explain. It really is quite remarkable. Sonobello doctors use a technology called microlaser fat removal, and the results are amazing. We customize your procedure to accomplish your goals. Just share with us the problem areas where you'd like the fat in inches removed. And in one visit, they're gone, permanently. I can't tell you how often I hear clients say how many years they've been trying to diet and exercise those inches away. And we did it in one comfortable visit. It's time to get your summer on. Visit any of our Sonobello locations across the U.S. And right now, you can save $250. Visit sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save. That's sonobello.com slash save. Hurry into Mattress Firm's best Memorial Day sale ever. Get a king bed for the price of a queen or a queen for a twin and save up to $500 on Sealy. Plus, get a free adjustable base with qualifying Sealy purchases up to a $4.99 value. Or shop Tempur-Pedic, the most highly recommended bed in America, and save up to $500 on adjustable mattress sets in stock for immediate delivery. And get a $300 instant gift. Talk to a sleep expert today, only at Mattress Firm. Restrictions apply. See store or mattressfirm.com for details. And we are back, and I screwed it up again. My clock, for those of you who are paying attention at home. The um, when we went away, we were talking about the uh, the UAPs and that sort of thing, uh, especially the Russians having failed to uh, deploy anything in in the Ukraine. Before we get into that, I wanted to make make one correction to Leslie Keen talking about ninety to ninety five percent of the UFO sightings being explainable in the mundane or terrestrially based objects of some kind. 
I think the number's higher than that. I think it's closer to 99% are explainable, but a, a very, very small number of the UFO sightings I think that we look at are, are truly anomalous. And it may be some kind of natural phenomenon we do not understand, or it may be extraterrestrial. Um, so we'll have to take a look at that in a moment. But when we went away, you were talking about the Soviet um, failure to deploy anything that would suggest a technological advantage over the Ukrainians and us. And uh, I, I interrupted you at that point so you can take it take it from there. Yeah, well, I'm glad to hear you say uh, 99%. Okay, I'm right there with you. So you're a good skeptic. <laughs> I, I will make you an honorary member of the Skeptic Society. How's that? <laughs> Thank you In very case, much. Yes, well. It, now it, I've committed ufological suicide. <laughs> oh, boy, you're in big trouble with the uh, the true believers. Well, yeah. so in the category of if this is true, what else would be true if, let's say, the Russians had super advanced technology, which has been proposed, that they are spying on our military bases and our nuclear missile sites and so on. Well, if that was true, wouldn't we see this super advanced technology used elsewhere where they have conflicts and they have one right now in Ukraine? You know, where are these super fast drones that can go faster than the speed of sound instantly and turn left at thousands of miles an hour and whatnot. There's nothing like that. So it's very unlikely that they have anything like that. In any case, the point I make in my article in Quillette is that we know a lot about the history of science and technology. No, no inventions or discoveries come out of the blue. None of them, not one. Every single invention has a precursor to it. And everybody knows what everybody else is doing. Nations spy on each other. They back engineer each other's technologies, as do tech companies. Another point I make, you know, Apple, Google, um, you know, Samsung, all these major corporations, they have massive security and intellectual property rights. They, they patent everything. They protect everything. They go out of their way to not let anybody steal their secrets. And yet all of our computers, all of our phones, they're all pretty much the same. So, you know, it, it's not like, you know, we have... You, we're still using dial-up phones and the Russians are using cell phones. You know, everybody has pretty much the same technology. The, you know, the Manhattan Project was the most super secret uh, science project in the history of the world. And yet the Russians stole our secrets and they had a bomb within three years of ours, four years of ours, 1949. So, you know, n there's no way the Chinese or the Russians could develop some super advanced technology uh, based on some theory of aerodynamics or engineering or physics that we just can't possibly understand yet. And and we wouldn't know about it. We would know about it. And so it, that hypothesis, I think, is out the window. So the third hypothesis that they're extraterrestrials. Also, very, very unlikely. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And if the evidence is just these blurry photographs and grainy videos, that's just not going to cut it in science. Uh, at, the, at the point I make it, is if you want to name a new species in biology, you have to have a type specimen. Here it is. Here's the body. You can dissect it, photograph it, publish it in a journal. Everybody could see it. It's in the museum. It's at the lab and so on. There's no mysteries. You know, everybody can check the evidence. Right. And there's nothing like that in the UFO circles. Nothing. And uh, so that hypothesis is pretty weak. And so we're left with the ordinary terrestrial. And the final point on that I'll make is that uh, no theory of science is ever going to explain 100% of the data. There'll always be anomalies. Like in alternative archaeology, for example, I know a lot of these guys that do alternative archaeology. And it's entirely based on anomalies that mainstream archaeologists can't explain. Like, you know, here I I found this thing in the in the dirt. It's dated at this age. How do you explain that? Doesn't fit the traditional timeline. You know, there's always stuff like that, and you don't throw out the whole science just because of the anomalies. Uh, you just assign graduate students to figure out the anomalies. You expand the current theory to include the anomalies. Well, let's take it a step further. We just had the big meeting in uh, Washington, the congressional hearings on UAPs. Uh, severing our, ourselves from UFOs and changing the nomenclature to something different. Um, I'm sure you watched the hearing. Maybe you did. Maybe you didn't. Mm -hmm. uh, I did. I sat I through did. the whole 87 minutes of it that we could see. Yeah, yeah uh, I watched the whole thing. What was your What was your impressions of those? Uh, I was pretty unimpressed, uh, along with many of the politicians sitting there. Uh, you know, they were just kind of shaking their heads at the videos and the photographs they were showing, which were embarrassingly bad. You know, just the, the one they showed which is almost surely a mylar balloon uh you know the video was several seconds and the, the the little object that was supposedly a uap was only on the 
screen for like 200 milliseconds, you know, two tenths of a second. And you had to really carefully pause and take a screenshot to even get it. To me, it looks like a Mylar balloon. And, you know, if that that's what we're worried about, I mean, that's it. Uh, so there's not much there, you know, and most of the impression I got is almost nobody thinks it's extraterrestrials. The only concern for the military would be if indeed it is some kind of Chinese or Russian uh, drone, um, a spy plane, something that is uh, flying over our protected airspace, then yet that's their job. That's their part of their mission. So, okay, good. I'm glad they're looking into it. Uh, and if we can expand the uh, the percentage of explained phenomenon to, to more than 99% through these investigations. And that's good. That's helpful. I was uh, surprised when one of the congressmen brought up the Maelstrom Air Force Base sightings, mm. Belt Montana sightings from 1967, where the uh, mm -hmm. missiles were shut down from an outside source, which of course, obviously is national, national security. If our competitors could learn how to disable our strategic mm -hmm. uh, retaliation abilities from an outside source. That that's a big matter of national security, and I was that surprised that. Yeah, I was surprised neither of those men who were there talking about this were aware of that that sighting at all. And I would think just a cursor, a brief cursor of look at the uh, history of the UFOs would have brought that thing up because it it, it fits in with a. a um, UFO sightings around Belt, Montana at the same time, and there was a discussion mm -hmm. of maybe a UFO over one of the launch control facilities. That would be something I think that they would want to look at, even though it's now 50 years later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that I think the people at this meeting weren't well versed in UFO history. So they could have just possibly not encountered that in their in their research or their or their interns doing the research or whoever did that. Yeah. So, but again, uh, if that were true, if there was an outside source that could just shut down our, our, our nuclear sites or whatever, how come they're not doing that regularly? You know, when there's tensions uh, between nations, you know, that we should see this kind of thing happening on submarines and, and other missile bases all the time, but we don't. So it seems unlikely. It seems more likely that's just a normal anomaly in our tech technology. These are fairly complicated technological systems. And we know technological systems that are complex break down and have flaws and problems and anomalies in them. So it, it, it could be the former, but it might be the latter. Well, I think my point was really that that the suggestion was that there was an outside force that shut down the, the missile flight. And if let us say, mm -hmm. for the sake of argument, it was an extraterrestrial source that had done so. It suggests that it's possible to shut down the missile sites from an outside source. And if our competitors learned that that was possible, then they would begin searching for a way to do it. That doesn't that they mm. wouldn't mm -hmm. necessarily have on hand, but they say, well, it can be done. Now we have to find out how it is done mm -hmm. and have yet to maybe, learn how to yeah, do again, it. Again, if it was true, maybe it should be applied to Kim Jong-un and North Korea you know, launching its ballistic missiles, which they did yesterday, again, as, you know, kind of saber rattling, you know, why, why isn't anybody putting a stop to that? What I'm saying is uh, it, it was an outside source that had done it. And it was a one, one off. We don't have the capability. They don't have the capability. And the answer to your question is we have not figured out how to do it yet. Clearly the yeah, missiles right. were shut down. The question is, was it some kind of an anomaly built into the system that failed at that one point, one time? And according to, I think it's Boeing who did the research on it, they said we could find nothing that would have caused this to happen, that it was some sort mm -hmm. of an outside source that had done so. I mean, these things supposedly uh, shielded against the electromagnetic pulse that would uh, be caused by an atomic explosion in the atmosphere. They are shielded against all of that sort of thing. So my but my point simply is it would seem that if you're worried about national security aspects of this, what you would uh, you would have become aware of that in even a cursory examination of the materials that gone on before that, such as the Project Blue Book files. There's a big file about mm -hmm. Belt Montana in Project Blue Book. I'm, I was surprised that they mm -hmm. they were not aware of that and said, yes, there's something that we we're going to look into more more deeply. Yeah. My sense about all of this is that the people, some people in the government know a lot more than they're letting on. You know, I mean, if uh, a lot of the, these, you know, the, the Tic Tac V 
video and the uh, the gimbal and all those. It, you know, you read Mick West's analysis, which I think are excellent. But this isn't super rocket science. It's you know pretty basic science he's employing to explain these things, even if he's wrong. Surely somebody in the Pentagon has those skills, <laughs> right? Uh, and and surely they have made those same kind of analyses that Mick has. And if so, why don't they tell us? Well, you know, I don't know. Governments keep secrets all the time from citizens. There's only certain things we really need to know. I suspect they, they know a lot more than we're being told. Along the lines of, I don't know, half a century ago, no one would have told us about the U-2 spy plane or the... Uh, stealth the you know the sr-71 blackbird or whatever and, and that or the stealth bomber uh you know these things were top secret for a while and now we know about them so what 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 do, what do we not know about now that somebody in the government knows about and they keeping it secret for obvious reasons and not not to not as a conspiracy against us citizens but you know to, just for national security reasons I was going to say that I think the reason you keep these secrets is national. Some of these secrets is national security. And I understand that completely. Uh, the government has a responsibility to keep some of these things secret to, I guess, confound yeah. our competitors in the world. I don't want to say defeat. I say compound and confound them. Right, when we come back, I've, I've got a long question to ask you about level land. You don't have to know anything about it. The question really deals with a skeptical response to the Air Force explanation, and we'll get into that in a moment. And, and I wanted to ask you a little bit about the uh, Hicks and Parker Pascagoula abduction as well. I'm speaking mm. with Michael Shermer. His website is michaelshermer, all one word, dot com or www.skeptic.com. Mine is www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. And we will be back right after this, so please stick around. Hurry into Mattress Firm's best Memorial Day sale ever. Get a king bed for the price of a queen or a queen for a twin and save up to $500 on Sealy. Plus, get a free adjustable base with qualifying Sealy purchases up to a $4.99 value. Or shop Tempur-Pedic, the most highly recommended bed in America, and save up to $500 on adjustable mattress sets in stock for immediate delivery. And get a $300 instant gift. Talk to a sleep expert today, only at Mattress Firm. Restrictions apply. See store or mattressfirm.com for details. Here at Mountain Dew, we'd like to remind you, you got to know what's important and what's not important. Knowing how to tie a tie, not important. Keeping a diary, not important. Trying all the different bold flavors of Mountain Dew, important. Experience the boldest flavors on earth. Do the do. And we're back. I moved my clock so I wouldn't screw it up this time. Uh, when we went away, I was uh, teasing the, the next question from Michael Shermer. And uh, I'm not sure how familiar you are with the Leveland sightings from November of 1957. Um, it was a point where UFOs were seen over a short period of time around the Leveland, Texas area. They came close to the ground. They called car engines, shut radios down, filled them with static, shut lights down. Witnesses in a number of different locations independently reporting this to the both the sheriff and the police in Leveland, Texas. That's kind of the basics of it. And you can decide whether you want to accept that as a extraterrestrial visitation or some other phenomenon. Uh, the point simply is, um, I always thought, and in, in, in talking to you, I'm not sure this question really applies to you anymore, that if you're a skeptic, you need to be skeptical of all these solutions, everything that's handed out. The Air Force in their investigation, and you can take a look at the Air Force file on it, decided that this was ball lightning. This was caused by ball lightning, these these sightings. Uh, and it seemed to be accepted quite readily by an awful lot of people on the other side of the fence, the skeptical side of the fence. And I wondered, as a skeptic, shouldn't you also be skeptical of an answer that is less than credible? <laughs> yeah, good point. Here's what the uh, Project Blue Book and the government said about this. You mentioned ball lightning uh, as the major cause for the sightings and reported auto auto failures. According to UF historian Curtis Peebles, the Air Force found only three persons who had witnessed the blue light. There was no uniform description of the object. Additionally, Project Blue Book believed that the Saucedo's account could not be relied upon. He only had a grad, grade school education and no concept of direction, was conflicting in his answers. In view of the stormy weather conditions, an electrical phenomenon such as ball lightning or St. Elmo's fire seemed to be the most probable cause. 
So here, even if that's not the correct, turns out not to be the correct answer. And as a one-off event, we may never know because it's not like you can repeat it and run the experiment and see what it was. Um, we, uh, but then, then we're faced with, again, back to this kind of Bayesian choice between two hypotheses uh, or maybe make it three, right? There's the ball lightning, St. Elmo's fire hypothesis. There's the something else natural or terrestrial that we don't understand yet and extraterrestrial. Okay, well, we have examples of ball lightning and St. Elmo's fire. Those are real phenomenon. They have been studied. Um, in terms of the unknown unknowns, well, I, you know, it's difficult to know what to do with an unknown unknown. I don't know. I don't even know what I don't know. I don't even know, right? So there's really nowhere to go with that until we, we get something solid to work with. And then extraterrestrial uh, hypothesis. We have no evidence at all of aliens coming to Earth. None. No, no solid, credible evidence where everybody can look at it and go, yeah, that's that's definitively true. So uh, back to so we're back to hypothesis one, the one that we actually know exists as the likeliest candidate. Doesn't make it's true. There's no truth in science with a capital T. It's just probabilistically speaking, that's the most probable one. But you read Curtis People's account, which of course was in his book uh, "Watch the Skies," which was the ending line from the thing from another world with. Uh, hmm. uh, one of my favorite actors involved in that. Uh, but the uh, thing about it was, if you go through the Air Force files, even though the Air Force said there were only three people that saw the object, it turns out in the files, you can find the names of five people. So that was that was inaccurate. The events took place over a period of two and a half to three hours. So ball lightning doesn't seem to be a viable uh, explanation, simply because ball lightning, if it exists, is a very short-lived phenomenon, and mm -hmm. it's only about, uh, what, 18 inches, two feet in diameter at the most. Um, there were no storms in the area. There's a weather report in the Project Blue Book files, which ironically comes from Roswell, New Mexico, giving the weather for the, that area of the southwest at the time, showing that the um, there was a cloud cover of about four-tenths of the sky, which isn't all that much. Uh, according to James McDonald, weather had moved through the area earlier in the day, but there was no storms going on in level land at 10 o'clock that night. So my point simply is, these are the kinds of questions I would think that the skeptics would also want to ask and looking at, mm -hmm. the, at the evidence. Here's the, here's the evidence sitting in front of us. This explanation simply doesn't work. It's obviously not ball lightning. Uh, doesn't mean it's extraterrestrial, doesn't mean it's alien, just means that explanation doesn't, doesn't work. And yet we have a skeptic Curtis Peoples, and I, I hesitate to tar, tarring with that brush, but suggesting an explanation that simply does not fit the facts. Right. Assuming the fact the facts are true, is the, the weather report from Roswell, is that accurate? And the eyewitness accounts, were they accurate and so on? So what you've just described is, is weakening the hypothesis that it was ball lightning or something related to that. And it could have been more than one incident. So reports coming across uh, a long time time period would not uh, would not obviate the ball lightning hypothesis if there were multiple in incidences of ball lightning. But maybe it's not ball lightning at all. Maybe it's some other electrical phenomenon. You know, let's well, not invent new physics when we don't need to. That's kind of my point was it's not ball lightning because it doesn't fit the facts as we know them that, that the Air Force gathered, for example, which I think would be a, a source that we could rely on for this because they were there and they would be um, the ones who would be gathering the evidence. We can look at that as really kind of a biased source from the other side of the, of the fence. Uh, so the, mm -hmm. the but my point was simply that the ball lightning hypothesis doesn't work. And shouldn't the skeptics be questioning the explanation as well as the extraterrestrial hypothesis? I mean, I, sure. I would think question it all. Would, I, I say question it all. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No question about it. But just kind of pulling back for the a, a bigger picture, Kevin, you know, over the decades, we've gotten better photography equipment. And now, as you know, for the last decade, everybody has a high resolution camera in their pocket that shoots very high quality uh, photographs and video with sound and so forth. And you would think that if this was going on, these UAPs, UFOs were buzzing our airspace, 
um, one of those Navy pilots who appeared on 60 Minutes when 60 Minutes about six months ago did a whole piece on UAPs. You know, he said he sees these things every day for years. Wow, every day. Okay, there must be tens of thousands of photographs from the from the passengers on the commercial airliners, from people at the beach walking along the coast. These these UAPs appear uh, near coastal areas. Uh, where are these? I mean, come on, there must be thousands of uh, high resolution ca video cameras and photographs. Uh, nothing. Where are they? Where's the evidence? If it was true, that should also be true. I've always said that one of the best evidences we could have would be multiple photographs of an object from multiple locations by independent witnesses. Meaning that the people at the beach saw the thing and photographed it and people downtown saw it and photographed it and we could gather an mm -hmm. awful lot of data from that. And mm -hmm. it's always bothered me that we do not have anything like that. I have a photograph that was taken over um, the Grand Tetons in Washington, D.C., Washington, not Washington, but uh, Wyoming, a uh, number of years ago of a, of a bolide, a, a meteor. Uh, mm -hmm. There's mo movie footage. There are cameras, several different cameras took pictures of it. I mean, people saw it and took pictures of it. And my question had always been, why is there not a UFO sighting like that? where we have yeah. that kind of evidence, which would be, I think, very yeah. persuasive. Yeah, and exactly. of course, the answer is the bolide was up at 40 miles high. So there was a big, long group of people who could have seen it. And UFOs historically are much lower than that. So I kind yeah, of- Yeah, just take part the, of the, the space shuttle um, Columbia passing over Texas when it was burning up. There are a few videos, not that many, um, I think it was fairly early in the morning and it was, you know, moving pretty fast, you know, like 10,000 miles an hour when it hit the atmosphere. Uh, but there, but there are some, and of course we find the debris, there's the crash debris, uh, you know, and, and so forth. So again, you get that kind of corroboration or convergence of evidence from multiple lines of inquiry. You don't need many, you know, there aren't that many videos and photographs of the planes hitting the world trade center. There's plenty more of the second plane because then, by then people were had their cameras out. But there's a couple of videos of the first plane. There was a fire crew making a video of how they work or something like that, and they caught the first plane hitting the World Trade Center. Um, but you know, but we have the debris, <laughs> the leftover plane parts on the ground, and of course, you know, the evidence of what happened. So there are 9/11 truthers who say there were no planes. It was all CGI video stuff. That's not true. We have the evidence for that, or that it was a cruise missile that hit the Pentagon. It's not a cruise missile. It was an American Airlines airline, commercial airliner, and the debris is right there on the grass. You can see photographs in color of the uh, American Airlines logo on the grass, <laughs> on a piece of the plane. So, you know, all that kind of speculation doesn't get us anywhere uh, You get to, when we have evidence like that. Well, I think what you're talking about is multiple chains of evidence. Not only do we have the eyewitness right. testimony right. of people seeing it, but we have the photographic evidence of those events. And then we have the debris left behind that can be analyzed and looked at. And then the uh, destruction of the of the buildings is a, a fourth chain of evidence. And I've always said that the best UFO case would have multiple chains of evidence, not just eyewitness testimony, but eyewitness testimony from multiple locations. You would have something else to go along with it, radar tracks, for example, or you would have uh, photographs or photographs and the radar tracks and that sort of thing. And then you can make a pretty persuasive case mm -hmm. for the existence of UFOs being something mm -hmm. other than um, trustly based aircraft or um, mm -hmm. um, manufactured objects. Let me take a break here one last time. Uh, when we come back, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about Hicks and Parker, the Pascagoula um, abduction, which I think you're probably somewhat familiar with and get an idea of what you think of the current information about it. I've talked to Calvin Parker a couple of times about it and find him to be a very nice individual. Um, so we can kind of discuss that. Once again, as I say, and I have to look at this to make sure I get it right, um, the website is michaelshermer.com and www.skeptic.com. 
blogspot.com and I am at kevinrandall.blogspot.com. We will be back right after this with Michael Shermer and get his opinion of abductions and uh, Calvin Parker Pascagoula abduction. So please stick around. Here at Mountain Dew, we'd like to remind you, you got to know what's important and what's not important. Knowing how to tie a tie, not important. Keeping a diary, not important. Trying all the different bold flavors of Mountain Dew, important. Experience the boldest flavors on earth. Do the Dew. At Mountain Dew, we'd like to recognize the number zero for making Mountain Dew Zero Sugar possible. You have no reason not to try it, as in zero. Get it? Crack open an ice-cold Mountain Dew Zero Sugar. It's zero sugar, all due. At JCPenney's Memorial Day Sale, sizzling deals are on with storewide doorbusters all weekend. Or bring home savings up to 50% during our Memorial Day home sale. Save even more with your coupon. And for all former and active military personnel, enjoy an extra 10% off in-store. Just show a valid military or VA ID at checkout. Shopping is back. JCPenney. Coupon valid on select styles through 530. Some exclusions apply. Doorbusters valid 526 through 530 and excluded from coupons. See store or jcp.com for details. And we are back. I'll be talking to Michael Shermer about the Calvin Parker, Charles Hickson abduction in just a minute. I am very terrible at promoting my own stuff because we were talking about Level Land. And I should have said at that point, you know, I did a book about Level Land. For those of you who are interested in getting all the dirty details of the case. And you can find that, of course, at Amazon.com and that sort of thing. And I have a book called Understanding Roswell, which takes it in a little bit different direction. And I think uh, explains some of the fallacies that have arisen around the Roswell case and uh, looks at the evidence uh, a little bit closer. Uh, when we went away, I mentioned the Hickson Parker abduction. I don't, are you familiar with that case at all? You, you're, you're talking about the uh, Pascagoula abduction, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm familiar with it. Yep. 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 And you know, that was one of Phil Glass's uh, classic investigations. Joe Nickel also commented on that in my erstwhile competitor, Skeptical Inquirer, who's been around a lot longer than we have. So, yeah, they, they tackled that. Uh, class says there was discrepancies in Hickson's story. He noted that Hickson refused to take a polygraph exam, concluded the case was a hoax. Uh, Joe Nickel wrote that Hickson's behavior was questionable, that Hickson later altered or embellished his claims. Nickel speculated that Hickson may have fantasized the alien encounter during a hypnagogic waking dream state and suggested that Parker's uh, corroboration of the tale was likely due to suggestibility because he initially told police he had passed out at the beginning of the incident and failed to regain consciousness until it was over. Well, maybe, maybe he just made it up. You know, it's good to remember <laughs> people just make stuff up. They do. They just tell let stories. Me, let me, let me and, interrupt and for a minute. That's the let basis me, of science fiction and fantasy, right? People. Have there's, these, there's, yeah. there's something, there's something else that comes out. And I talked to Philip Mantle just last week. Uh, and he's published a book by Calvin Parker about this event. And I was always under the impression, and I think Phil Class was under the impression as well, that this was a one-off. This was just these two guys seeing this thing near the Pascagoula River. But it turns out there's a, there was a series of other people who reported this object independently that at that time frame, back in 1973, that seemed to have been overlooked by the media and the UFO investigators. And there's... Mm. There's evidence that a couple of them even reported it to Keesler Air Force Base, which I think is close to the Pas Pascagoula area, back in 1973. So it's not, not Parker and Hickson telling the story. There are corroborative witnesses mm. to some kind of phenomenon in the area mm -hmm. on that night. Does that alter your uh, impression well, at that all? Would, I, mean, I understand this. Well, is, that, I'm just that would prove the – well, all that would show is that – they didn't just make it up that it was something actually in the atmosphere. You know, the idea of the anomalous atmospheric phenomenon is old. I mean, people have been seeing stuff in the skies that they can't explain for centuries, not millennia. And, you know, that's, that's okay. I mean, if it was multiple people saw it, but then you have to ask, let's just go to a parallel story of like the miracle at Fatima where, you know, supposedly thousands of people saw the sun stop in the sky and then dance around the sky and you know and, and it's not like a one-off one person hallucinating according to the accounts thousands and thousands of people that were gathered there for this religious uh, ceremony saw this happen and they considered it to be a biblical miracle or 
miracle of a religious nature. Well, you know, but if that were true, then wouldn't people somewhere not in Fatima, Portugal, have seen the sun stop and dance around the sky? Somebody 20 miles away, a thousand miles away, wouldn't they have reported something that same day? So again, if this is true, what else would be true? They may well have seen something in the sky, again, ball lightning or a, a boloid, um, you know, something like this streaking, is, you know, could be something like that. And therefore, you don't need the he just made it up hypothesis. The, the other thing, the other thing that I think Phil Class overlooked is that the police, they went to the police. I think they apparently went to the newspaper, tried to go to the newspaper first and the, the newspaper office was locked. So they went to the sheriff's office or called the sheriff, but they were left alone in, a, I guess, an interrogation room with a tape running, thinking that if it was a hoax and they were making the things up, mm. there would be some discussion because they think that mm. they, were, mm. they were not being monitored, and they were, and the tape mm -hmm. doesn't, doesn't reflect that at all. Mm, interesting, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's so, I mean, the, the, the simple point is there's some anomalies here that are not easily explainable. I think class was a little bit too dismissive of this particular case. There, I think, there were five or six other abductions in that time frame, October of 1973. I think the only one that withstood the test of time is the Hicks and Parker abduction. Yeah, uh, I've had an opportunity. I had an opportunity to sp speak to Charles Hickson and I've spoken to Calvin Parker a number of times as well. Um, and I understand my impression of them being uh, or attempting to relate their experiences in a truthful manner with a lot of out a lot of embellishment is probably not as uh, credible as it could be. But I think that uh, um, it, it's difficult to believe that Calvin Parker at this point would be sticking to this story. Uh, of that, which means he believes it to be true, which doesn't make it make it necessarily extraterrestrial. It's just an experience he has right. he believes to be true. Oh, people have experiences that they absolutely believe are true. I've met a lot of alien abductees and people that have had near-death experiences and whatnot. And I, I, I believe that they believe it. I don't think, I think most of them are not just making it up. Uh, they've had real experiences. They're not just trying to sell books or get on TV. I think most of them have had real experiences. The question is, what does the experience represent? You know, something up here in the head or out there in the in the in the world, right? So before we say something is out of this world, let's first make sure it's not in this world. And I always want like to make the point just for people listening that uh, I think it's two different questions: Are they out there? Have they come here? I think. You know, we, the answer is we don't know. But, uh, you know, the idea that there's probably extraterrestrial intelligence somewhere in the cosmos seems like a very reasonable hypothesis. I'd be utterly shocked beyond belief if it turned out we're the only ones in the entire cosmos, you know, hundreds of billions of galaxies, each of which has hundreds of billions of stars. Each of those stars has a dozen or so planets. I mean, come on. It, this surely experiment has been run before somewhere else, right? Natural experiment of evolution. Uh, but that's a different question than from they actually have they come here. You know, it's a pretty vast, empty cosmos. There's it's mostly just empty space in a couple billion years, uh, you know, a couple hundred million years, I guess. The Andromeda galaxy is going to pass right through the Milky Way galaxy, and there will very likely be no collisions between the hundreds of billions of stars. They're so far apart. You know, and I make the point that if, you know, if you had an orange size uh, sun in Los Angeles, Southern California, where I am, the closest star system, Alpha Centauri, would be an orange in Chicago, 2,000 miles away. It's mostly just empty space, right? So the chances of they finding us is pretty much nil, which is why the SETI scientists are looking for signals, you know, some kind of radio signal that could not be coming from a pulsar or a black, rotating black hole or anything like that. Or signatures like Avi Loeb's, you know, some technological thing that passes through our solar system and we capture it, you know, capture photographs of it. And, and he actually is working with NASA to, to have an, a, um, a, like a, a, a spaceship ready to go. Like if we spot something, send it out there and take some photographs of it in case it is extraterrestrial. Or, you know, something like a Dyson sphere where a, a super advanced technological type two civilization has built massive solar panels around the star to capture the energy to fuel their civilization. Well, we should be able to see those in the infrared uh, through radio telescopes around different stars. And there has, have, people have looked, they have not found anything yet, but we've just begun the search. That to me seems like a more rational, reasonable hypothesis than that they've come here and the evidence for it is these just quirky anomalies in the atmosphere or uh, spooky things that people experience in the middle of the night. 
Well, wasn't it Carl Sagan who said we could expect one extraterrestrial visitation every 10,000 years? <laughs> yeah, there he was. Yeah, that's right. He's kind of putting a probability on it. But this was uh, when he was writing about the ancient alien hypothesis that, you know, that, that the idea that they've just started coming here in the 1950s is a little too convenient for what was going on culturally and technologically in the 1950s. More likely, it would have been some distant past within the last 10,000 years. Right. But again, the ancient alien people, all they have are anomalies and they don't even have very many of those. You know, they'll stand there at Easter Island. Look at these statues. No one has any idea how they got here. It's like, that's not true. We have a really good idea of how those statues got there. Why don't you interview somebody who actually knows something about Easter Island? Well, let <laughs> like me Joanne Dantilla, UCLA, who works at uh, Easter Island, right? Why don't they interview the real experts? Well, let me interrupt you there because we're running out of time. And I wanted to give you a chance to plug your magazine. Um, oh well, okay, here we go. <laughs> we've done a lot on we've done a lot on uh, uh, aliens and UFOs. Here's one. Here's uh, the uh, UFOs in the skies of medieval art and early modern art. Are these UFOs? How do how do they get a hold of your how do they get a hold of your magazine? Skeptic.com. Here's another one. The man who invented flying saucers. Here's our latest issue on trans matters. Skeptic.com, or you just go to a local bookstore. Uh, Skeptic is in print, available at every bookstore in North America. Just Or just go to Skeptic.com. <laughs> okay. And uh, what's your latest book? Uh, it's this, Giving the Devil His Due. Uh, it's a, a defense of free speech. It's a collection of my essays over the past decade, but the central theme is why uh, we should talk to each other like you and I are talking to each other. You know, communication is all we have to get our thoughts out of our skulls and into other people's skulls. So free speech is the basis of everything from science to democracy. Well, thank you so much for coming on the program. I appreciate you being here. And we had a very nice cordial conversation, I think. Yeah, me too. I agree. And we'll do, we'll do it again at some point when we uh, find things to argue about. Thank oh, you so there's much. There's a never-ending supply of that. <laughs> All right, Kevin. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um, as I say, you can take a look at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com, and you can see some of my essays and some of my counter-arguments to uh, skeptical arguments and some of the points like that. You can find my commentary on the um, congressional hearings that were held last week, uh, my perceptions of it. I, and, and as I, I pointed out here, and I'll point out, Again, um, some of that does deal with national security, and I can understand them wanting to keep it secret and keep it out of the public arena because it does it could reveal our capabilities of uh, intercepting the what would be electro electronic intelligence elint or uh, things like that. So take a look at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. If you are interested in the Level Land discussion, the book is Level Land. And if you're interested in why the government keeps hiding this stuff, the book would be UFOs and the Deep State. And if you want a different perspective on uh, Roswell, take a look at Understanding Roswell. I will be back in 167 hours. I thank you for tuning in. At JCPenney's Memorial Day Sale, sizzling deals are on with storewide doorbusters all weekend. Or bring home savings up to 50% during our Memorial Day home sale. Save even more with your coupon. And for all former and active military personnel, enjoy an extra 10% off in-store. Just show a valid military or VA ID at checkout. Shopping is back. JCPenney. Coupon valid on select styles through 530. Some exclusions apply. Doorbusters valid 526 through 530 and excluded from coupons. See store or jcp.com for details.